Hey everyone, before this podcast begins, we want to tell you about some other arts-related podcasts you're going to love. They are The Conduit Music Podcast, Artsville, Gringo and the Man, Art World Horror Stories, and Not Real Art. On these action-packed podcasts, you'll hear experts talk about creativity, design, the music biz, the art world, visual art, American craft, Chicano art, street art, graffiti, and even stand-up comedy. So be sure to find and follow these great arts podcasts today. Now, back to your regularly scheduled programming. Warning, the Not Real Art Podcast is intended for creative audiences only. The Not Real Art Podcast celebrates creativity and creative culture worldwide. It contains material that is fresh, fun and inspiring and is not suitable for boring old art snobs. Now, let's get started and enjoy the show. Greetings and salutations, my creative brothers and sisters. Welcome to the Not Real Art Podcast, where we celebrate creative culture and the artists who make it. I'm your host, Sourdough, coming to you from Crew West Studio in Los Angeles. Man, do we have a cool program for you all today. I have no doubt you will learn, grow, and be inspired by today's show. Before we get into our main event, I want to thank you for tuning in. Please be sure to like this episode and subscribe. Your likes and follows help ensure you won't miss any of our new shows, and it makes the algorithm gods happy, which helps us. So thanks for that. Also, be sure to visit our website, notrealart.com. Sign up for our newsletter to keep your finger on the pulse of everything we're doing here at Not Real Art for artists and art lovers. A lot of great stuff there. On the website, you'll see you'll get uh, free educational videos. You can sign up for our artist grant for the chance to receive $2,000. You can buy affordable original contemporary art through our partnership with Sugar Press. And you can become a supporter through Patreon if you want. So be sure to check out our website today for all the good, healthy stuff we got for you. Okay, people, today we have Bonnie Robinson Stewart of Huggable Koi. Now, Bonnie and I met this year at DesignerCon in Anaheim, and I fell in love with her work. Bonnie makes these incredible hand-sewn, handmade plush animals or toys, if you will. Everything from koi fish, it's in the name, Huggable Koi all the way over to Godzilla as a plush huggable toy. And I actually bought two Godzillas from her, one for my son, one for my niece. They're incredible works of art. So much blood, sweat, and tears go into these things, hours and hours, countless hours. But what's so cool about Bonnie is actually she counts her hours because, of course, by day, she's a production manager at Titmouse Animation Studios here in Hollywood. And so, of course, when you work... In commercial art, in a high stakes game like animation, you've got to track your hours. You've got to manage your business rigorously. And so Bonnie brings those skills over to her fine art and her craft, sewing these animals. So she she can tell you how many hours she has in these things, which helps her determine what to charge for them and how to price them, so on and so forth. So Anyway, Bonnie is just one of those super cool humans that has this really cool job by day working for this awesome animation studio, Titmouse. If you've ever seen the show on Netflix, Big Mouth, you know their work. I mean, my God, their work is all over the place. I'm sure you've seen it. But the point is, is that Bonnie 
is by night this incredible artist who makes these lovable huggable toys plush toys by hand and i uh, just so delighted and charmed by her work and when i met her at designer con not only did i buy her work but i knew that i wanted her to come onto the podcast and share her story with you guys and so without further ado let's get into this episode with the one and only bonnie robertson stewart Bonnie Robinson-Stewart, welcome to the Not Real Art Podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh my God, I'm so excited. I mean, literally, <laughs> you and I just randomly met briefly at DesignerCon, and I discovered your work, I, I purchased your work, I, I gave Thank them you. as gifts for the holidays. You were a hero to my son, you were a hero <laughs> to my niece. Your work is just delightful, and when I learned about you and your work. I just said, my God, I want to get Bonnie on the podcast to learn more about who this awesome human being is. Oh, well, thank you. And thank you so much for sharing pictures of the gifts in there, the plushies in their new places. I do really appreciate that. Absolutely. Well, <laughs> we adopt your babies, you know, like you make the babies and we adopt them. And I want to make sure you know they're safe. Yeah. I love seeing them out in the world with their new people and their new families. It's always, always good to see. Do you have a, like a big collection of photographs that people send you? Is that uh, how, how's that going? I have a lot. And whenever I travel, I do like a traveling fish pictures where I'll usually take one of my small koi plushies with me. And mm -hmm. I've even had some people who bought them take their koi when they've traveled too and gotten pictures from Paris and New York and... <laughs> You're global. You're international. Oh, yeah, all kinds of places. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so that's fun too. That is so cool. Do you know where in the world, the farthest place, the most exotic place that your babies live? Like, are you truly, has your koi swam around the world? <laughs> koi and other plushies I've made. I have a, I actually have a cousin in Kenya. He has one. <laughs> there you um, go. He probably wins the distinction. Yeah. Yeah. And I know there's a couple in Japan. There's some in Denmark, some in France. So yeah, I'm in. In a few fantastic. <laughs> fantastic. Well, Kenya, I mean, that's pretty damn cool right there. And yeah. and you better have some koi in Japan, right? Like, oh, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. let's get to Japan. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, that is just delightful. And there's such a joy about your work. I mean, I literally was just walking down the aisle at DesignerCon and just stumbled into your booth and the Godzilla's caught my eye. <laughs> and I just was so instantly charmed by your work because there's just such a delight. And obviously the love is apparent because the amount of hours that you put into these things, it's incredible. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, the Godzilla's, <laughs> if both sides are fully detailed, they're about 40 hours a piece. Anymore, I'm usually just making them one-sided just because it makes them yeah. at a slightly more affordable price point. And, sure, sure, sure. But yeah, I've got, I currently have six in progress that I'm working on. So <laughs> since you made it so I was out of stock, so I'm like, okay, I got to crank out some more Godzillas. So there's six in varying colors in, in progress right now. Very cool. Well, well, yeah, I'm impressed that you know your hours because a lot of artists, you ask them, you know, well, how many hours do you have in that painting? And they just sort of look at you with a glazed look. They're like, I don't know. Oh, I, and, I, and I'm sure it's because my day job, I'm a production manager in animation. So I'm very in tune to like the numbers and how things are going. And yeah, so when I sit down to sew, I actually have a timer. I start and, you know, when I start and stop it, you know, if I'm switching between projects and I log everything. I know how much time I spend doing social media stuff. I know how much time I do for 
each individual project for what I consider support tasks, like just organizing all my fabric, which I have a lot, (laughs) (laughs) like over a hundred pounds of fabric. So yeah, like I just, I track everything. I mean, it also makes it so like I know what to charge for pieces. Right. Yeah. Well, by the way, I hope all the artists out there that are hearing this, I hope they're taking notes because I've always said for a long time that the fine art world and the in fine so-called fine artists or contemporary artists could learn a lot from so-called commercial artists because commercial artists, they have to track hours. They have to bill. A lot of times, you know, you have clients that demand accountability for where their money's going and you have to mm-hmm. prove to them like, you know, what they're you're delivering and and how long that's going to take. And the, so there's a rigor and a discipline and an analytic and a calculus or whatever to the commercial art side that a lot of times fine artists, you ask them, well, how much do you have in supplies? How much, how many hours did you put in that? And they, they mm-hmm. literally just look at you with a glazed look on their face because yeah. they don't track that <laughs> stuff. They just want to create. And I totally get that. But then it, it makes it hard when it comes time to justify the price tag. Mm-hmm. Well, in two, like I found it to be a good way to motivate myself to get work done. Mm-hmm. because I could actually look back and see like, like how much time have I spent sewing this month or what's my daily average? Like I shoot for a daily average of 60 minutes a day. I don't necessarily sew every single day. I usually do most of my sewing on the weekends. Mm-hmm. But yeah, for the last three calendar years, I've averaged out an hour a day every year. And yeah, I'm, I'm calculating that all the time and looking at like, am I behind? I actually have like a quota for myself. Once again, this is that. <laughs> production manager side coming out but yeah but sometimes I'll look at those numbers and I'll just be like damn like I'm only averaging like 15 minutes a day this month like I gotta I gotta step it up and it encourages me to get in the chair and get back to sewing and Mm -hmm. so for me it helps and then for price point too because I very early on when I first started doing this before I was tracking anything I, I was mostly just selling art to my friends and my coworkers, and Obviously, I work with a lot of artists and a lot of artists who sell art on the side along with having their day job. And I had two different two different artists sit me down very early on and be like, you are undercharging and that's a problem. They're like, when you undercharge, it devalues everyone else's art around yours and you're devaluing yourself and it's not helping anybody. It's hurting everyone. So, yeah, I kind of got like sat down and given a talk. <laughs> and after By the that, way, that's when I started tracking my time. And God bless those coworkers. You know, you, you know what that's <laughs> called? That's called tough love, you know, and artists yes. need to hold each other accountable because I'll tell you what, the number of artists over the years that I've heard apologize for their prices or not know or want to immediately negotiate down or what have you. And I've said that time and time again, I said, you know, free work devalues all work. Your yes. time is valuable. We only have limited amount of it, but it's, it's just one of those things. You don't learn it necessarily in art school. And I don't know to what extent you learn that kind of rigor in uh, when you were studying animation and production management and things, but you certainly learn it in the real world because in business, yes. you have to make a profit and manage these variables. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and too, like, you know, if you want to do art fairs and conventions like designer con, that costs money too, just to walk in the door. You have to yep. account for the yep. table fees and. <laughs> and you need to know, right? Like, was yeah. it worth your time and money? Did you break even? What were sales? Yes. What were your costs? Did you cover those costs? Did you make any money? I mean, that's just the business side of it. But I, I'll tell you what, those coworkers that set you down, I feel like I want to give them a big medal because like the <laughs> tough love medal, you know, like that was. The <laughs> well, I can remember Devin Crane is one of them. He's a 
Shout out Devin. Does, like, yeah, he mostly does like a biz dev art for uh, feature films. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he does amazing stuff. I, I would encourage anyone to look him up. But yeah, I, I especially remember the conversation from him because I'd known him. I'd worked with him several times over the years. Mm-hmm. And he was like, we need to have a talk. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm glad he did that. Are we allowed to say publicly, are you comfortable saying publicly the animation studio you work for? Because it is a beloved studio. It's one of my favorites. Yes. (laughs) It's beloved to me as well. I've been working there for over five years. It's Titmouse Animation. Woohoo, Titmouse. Um, Yeah, woo. Yeah, I'm currently working out of, technically working out of their Burbank location, although we're still, Mm -hmm. you know, working from home. Yeah. Which I love. My husband works for them as well. Uh, So... Did you guys meet at work? Were you married before no, you started we, working there? Did you meet there? Yeah, we actually met at school. We both went to Cal nice. State Fullerton. Uh-huh. He was getting an animation degree just like I was. And yeah, mm-hmm. that, that's how we met. And I worked at a couple feature animation studios before I went to Titmouse. I was at DreamWorks for like seven mm-hmm. years. And then I was at mm-hmm. Paramount mm-hmm. for a little while. Yeah. And right now I'm working on the Venture Brothers special mm-hmm. that'll be out in a while. We actually don't know the release date yet. I can't yeah. really say too much about it, except that yeah, we're yeah, making yeah. it. Don't, don't get us killed. Don't yeah, get us killed, yeah. Bonnie. No, we're, we're, we're making it, and it's awesome, and I can't wait for other fans to see it. And yeah, like it's, it's exciting to be working on. Just because like that was something in college. Like The first few seasons were already out when I was in college, and I used to watch those like over and over. <laughs> and like my husband worked on the seventh season of it, and then now mm-hmm. I'm working on it. So yeah, it's, it's been really fun, and I'm really happy I'm getting to do that. Do you or didn't you work on uh, Big Mouth? Yes, I was on that for the first four seasons. Oh, my God. I'll tell you what. I I recently (laughs) last uh, two, I guess, uh, was it last year I discovered Big Mouth? I tell you what, I hadn't laughed so hard in so long. What a fucking brilliant, (laughs) brilliant show that is. It's really fun. And that was my first time working in TV. Otherwise, I'd only done feature animation. Mm -hmm. I love working in TV. I love the pacing is so much more fun for me. Like feature animation is a very slow process. Mm-hmm. TV animation just, oh man, we cook. Like it's, <laughs> I loved that change in speed. Yeah. They've got to deliver, man. They got advertisers to, yeah. to you know, to, to appease, right? Yeah. The turnaround so much faster. Like, you know, for feature, you're going to be doing maybe 90 minutes of content over the course of four to five years. Whereas in <laughs> TV in one year, you're going to be putting out 220 minutes of content. Yeah, it's yeah. so much faster. And <laughs> I really like it. I really like the faster pace. And Titmouse has been a great company. Yeah, yeah, those guys are awesome. So I can imagine that working with your hands and sewing is such a nice counterbalance to the digital world of animation, yeah? Oh, yeah, it's super cathartic just because all day I'm I'm on the computer all day. Like that's... <laughs> That is yeah. my job. It's talking to people in, in meetings and, like I said, taking care of the numbers and making sure everyone knows their assignments, making sure we're on schedule, making sure designs are getting where they need to go. But it's it's all digital and being able to, on my own, just do something that I'm in charge of that I don't have to answer to anyone and that I can just do what I want to do. And it's a real physical thing in my hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very cathartic. But you're self-taught, right? I mean, in terms of the song, it's not like Mm -hmm. you necessarily, I mean, I I understand that you used to do quilting and things, but how old were you when you started sewing? Let's see. That was 
because it was probably about 10 years ago. So I was like 31, 32. Right. So this was something that you just recently discovered. Yeah. And I'd always been kind of interested in it. Like I've always been, I've always been making art of different kinds and I've always really liked playing with like color and pattern. And, Mm -hmm. and I'd always thought doing quilting and stuff would be kind of an interesting way to also continue that playing with pattern and color, but I'd never learned to sew ever. <laughs> and uh, my <laughs> Maybe parents a button, were like, right? <laughs> yeah. And my parents were like, Hey, we want to get you something for your birthday. That's something that's for fun, but like not something you need, Yeah, something that, for you to enjoy. Right. And, and I'm like, well, I've always wanted to learn to sew, but I don't have a sewing machine. So give me a sewing machine. And that's what they yeah. did. And <laughs> they listened. I love it. Yeah. And it was just a cheap blue plate special from Walmart. Like, Sure, sure. Yeah. You know, little machine, which I still have and still works, by the way. They got me that. And I had one little book that was kind of explained things. And then I ended up mostly just learning from trial and error and YouTube videos. Because like I knew some people I could ask that knew how to sew, but I felt bad asking them over and over again to show me the same thing. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, a YouTube video. I can replay that over and over. And I'm not bothering anyone. <laughs> How great is YouTube for those kinds of quick (laughs) tutorials or the learnings? It's amazing. So, yeah, so I started with quilting and in about three years, I made like 60 quilts (laughs) and it's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) So you're not obsessive, are you, Bonnie? Bonnie, are you are you an obsessive person? (laughs) I'm starting to wonder. I just, I like to be busy. I think that's a lot of it. Let's call it, you know what? Let's call it prolific. Well, you're not, you're not so much obsessive. You're prolific. That's There you go. And it was kind of like, I got to like the end of the list of everyone I wanted to make them for. And I was kind of like, I didn't really want to make those to sell because you want to talk about something no one really wants to pay for is a handmade quilt. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, which is kind of interesting because, you know, I'm from the Midwest originally. And I remember I have fond memories of sort of there were a few quilts that somehow ended up in my life. Either an aunt gave them to me or my grandmother made them or something. And those things are comfortable. They're warm. They're cozy. Like, who doesn't want a quilt? Yeah, but they are deceivingly expensive to make. Yes, it's true. No, it's true. When they're given to you, that's one thing, right? (laughs) Right, Yeah, but like nobody wants to pay for them. And I'd kind of gotten to like the bottom of that list. And I'm like, I want to keep making stuff, but I want to make stuff that's going to go somewhere. I didn't want to make things and just have them laying all over my house. Yeah, right. And I'd been collecting Koinobari. Those are the carp flags, the Japanese carp Mm -hmm. flags. Mm-hmm. I've been collecting those since I was a teenager. And even now I have like 70 something of them. Wow. They're all over the house. But I'd always really liked those and just liked koi fish in general. And I'm like, it'd be really cool to have, you know, a 3D version of one of those guys. And I'm like, oh, maybe I'll try doing that. And I did check first with some of my, my Japanese friends. I'm like, this isn't going to, I want to make sure, you know, I wasn't being disrespectful or doing something I shouldn't do. They all said it was a cool idea, so I went for it. <laughs> and first, I literally just took a cheap one that I'd got at a store, a cheap cordoberry, and I just stuffed it and sewed it shut. But that looked really odd. <laughs> and it was just like, you know, I could do this better. And I drew my own version of the design and kept playing with the pattern. And I really figured I would just make a couple for myself, and that would be that. I really didn't think other people were going to be interested in them. Because I felt like that was like a very like a niche, <laughs> like a niche <laughs> thing. I'm like, ah, but sometimes that's that the key. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, and now I've made over ninety of them, so <laughs> of many sizes. And yeah, after I'd been doing that for a little while, I did a couple of those, 
managed to sell a few. And I was like, oh, maybe, maybe this is something I could do in, instead. And right, one friend asked me for a cat. So I ended up making a cat. And then somebody wanted a dog. And then it just kind of went everywhere from there. (laughs) Next thing you know, you've got a zoo. (laughs) Yeah, basically. And now I don't do quilts at all anymore. If it's like, it has to be like a family member having a baby if they want one. (laughs) Usually I'll design it. My mom will actually execute it because my mom does sew. And then I'll do some finishing touches on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, now like I actually don't even take commissions anymore. (laughs) So I I just make what I feel like making. And it's just fun. And I really enjoy it. And I've ended up having some of the just, the coolest opportunities and experiences because I do that. Things that don't even make sense. Like I've gotten to be backstage at some really amazing concerts um, (laughs) as a direct result of doing this. I've had people that I like consider my heroes bought my work and yeah, like, (laughs) like well, I think I even saw, well, didn't I see on your IG that Matt Groening bought a, one of your stuffies? He actually, He actually collects, he collects my stuff. He's bought for me several times. (laughs) Oh, that's incredible. And and I've never, and I've like, I've never worked with him. He doesn't know me through animation. Like he just found me at designer con. That's so cool. Yeah. Like it's so random. (laughs) It's so random. (laughs) (laughs) And like Jack Black's bought some of my work. So cool. That's (laughs) right. But, but okay. So, but I do want to hear the story of like how you ended up backstage at a concert because that's, (laughs) that really sounds random. So that I got to give all the credit to Lori Herbst and Chris Sherry, who I've become friends with through doing this, through sewing. Lori invited me to be a part of an art show years ago. That was the first like gallery art show I was ever a part of. And I'd been wanting to learn more about that kind of stuff anyway. So when she invited me to do it, I was like, hey, if you need help with anything, let me know because I want to I wanna learn about this kind of stuff, you know, curating and all that jazz. And she took me up on that and was like, oh, yeah, come on down. We're setting up. You can help us set up. And I have ended up becoming really great friends with Chris and Lori. They're like an extension of our family at this point. And Chris is really involved with a bunch of different bands like The Descendants and All and Aquabats. And he's been able to hook up <laughs> all kinds of amazing things. <laughs> Yeah, like getting to know them really made my artistic career, if you could call it that, mm-hmm. take off. They're the ones who really encouraged me to do more gallery shows. Like when I first did Designer Con, it was with them. And that was actually, we, we barely even knew each other at that point. And I was just like, I'd been trying to get into Designer Con and I was on the waiting list. And it was like a month before, which isn't a lot of notice. A month before Designer Con, they were like, hey, we had a spot open up. If you want it, you can have it. But I couldn't really afford to do a spot by myself at that point. Mm-hmm. So I contacted Chris and Lori and I was like, hey, if you want to do it, because you said you'd <laughs> wanted to do it, but you're on the waiting list too. Like, if you want to do it and share a booth with me, let's go. And I remember Lori kind of being like, I don't really feel like I'm ready, but I feel like I should do it anyhow. And I'm like, I'm totally not ready, but I know if I wait till I'm ready, I'll never do it. <laughs> So and true, just right? Do it and we'll figure it out when we get there. <laughs> Let's just jump and worry about how high later, you know? Yeah. yeah. And and it went really well. That was like kind of my first big show that I did. I'd done some little like DreamWorks actually has like a Christmas craft fair they do every year. Like I'd sold there. That was like just my coworkers and stuff though. Right, right. Yeah, this was my first like big public thing where I'd sold stuff and mm-hmm. it's been a ride <laughs> and it's been great. Is it hard to let your babies go? 
is it hard? I mean, I know it's it's like a bittersweet thing, but you know, and and it was kind of the same thing with the quilts when I'm making stuff. I'm generally making it knowing it's not going to always be mine. Right. So it's kind of like like I've only ever made one plushie for us to keep in the house. It was one, or, or I've made two, I guess. The original koi that I made. And I made a cat for my husband that looks like our cat. I made mm-hmm. that for him as a birthday gift. He specifically asked for it. So typically, it's like when I'm making it, I just have that in mind that like this, I don't know. <laughs> just like, yeah, like uh, this isn't mine. So I know it's going to go away. Right. So, like I, so would you say that the majority of your business is sort of commission-based or is it half and half? I used to do commissions. Commissions used to be like a, maybe like a quarter of what I did. Okay. Now I don't do them at all except for yeah. friends and family mm-hmm. just because I had some bad experiences and I'm like, you know what? Interesting. I'm just not yeah. doing this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you just, so, so I guess what yeah, I was reading maybe too deeply into that. So what you're just saying is now you're at a point where as you make these things, you just know that they're going to go away someday yeah. and go live with somebody else. Yeah. 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 I just, I make them knowing that I'm making something that's going to be for sale and that I, yeah. I mean, I still make them exactly how I would want them to look, but sure. And even when I do have some that will end up hanging around for a while, every once in a while I'll be like, maybe I'll just keep that one. And usually when <laughs> I get to that point, that's when someone will buy it. <laughs> and it's like, exactly. but the more I sell, the more I tend to make. And I really enjoy making them. To me, that's really the important part. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that might be also why I was attracted to animation as well as it's like a very process oriented okay. thing. And I really like doing that process and like the way these plushies are put together they have to be put together in very specific order mm-hmm, where the mm-hmm. pattern doesn't work. Mm-hmm. It's very layer-based. So like mm-hmm. every time I come up with a new pattern, it's like figuring out that new system of how this one's going to get put together and mm-hmm. and working with those colors as I go. I do kind of plan out the fabric in advance, but generally speaking, I do a lot of it on the fly, just kind of digging through what I have. Mm-hmm. And usually I'll pick out like one fabric that it's like, this is like my base fabric. And then I'll mm-hmm. try to pick all the other fabrics that go with the piece around that one fabric, which can sometimes make some wild combinations, but <laughs> that's, that's part of the point. Yeah. That's called art. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. The no, art and, part. and I love it. And I buy fabric. I really haven't been buying too much recently, mostly because I haven't been traveling. Usually I only let myself buy printed fabric when I'm traveling, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which is more of a way to just keep myself from spending a stupid amount of money on fabric. But that's part of what makes this work, too, is like I have this huge like library of fabric to pick from. And then I have some friends that are quilters and friends that do costuming that they give me their scraps because like I can use pieces if as long as a piece of fabric is no smaller than like two inches by two inches, I can still use it. But for most people doing sewing, that's garbage. And it's like, well, give it to me. (laughs) Right. Because I can still use it. So, Yep. yep. I have tons of variety to choose from, tons of colors, some different textures. I do tend to just stick with straight up cotton fabric. I don't really like mixing materials just because it causes some weird stretching issues and mm-hmm. makes, can make pieces hard to keep clean. So that is one thing too. All my pieces, if you ever need to, you can unstuff it and throw it in the washer and dryer and then what? restuff it. Yeah, like, I can unstuff my son's yeah. Godzilla? Yeah. How do I do that? Where's the hatch by which I open <laughs> well, on, up? on the Godzilla, it's kind of where you imagine a hatch would be. It's kind of oh, where butt, kind of that where hatch. Butt would be. <laughs> but yeah, it's like I have had some people come to me because, you know, something's been spilled. Yeah, right. Or I've even had some damage at shows. People have dropped, you know, it's gotten knocked on the ground or 
gotten sloshed with some mystery liquid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I'll bring it home and unstuff it and just clean them up and put it through the washer and dryer and restuff it. And it's good to go again. <laughs> that's amazing. That's so cool. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's a fun fact. I did not know. And by the way, I'm glad I know now because knowing my son, there's going to be a day where I have to call you up and be like, Bonnie, it happened. Yeah. Where's that hatch again? All right. <laughs> well, that that's amazing that obviously you can upcycle people's, I don't know, uh, remains, mm-hmm. so to speak, uh, the yeah. trash for them, stuff that they would that they can't use. You can upcycle into art. And I actually don't waste anything because then even like the little tiny little clippings of fabric I end up with and all my thread clippings, I Mm -hmm. will recycle and I use the stuffing. And I don't stuff everything with those. It's usually just the koi just because shaped creatures like the Godzillas, if Mm -hmm. I stuff them with that, it's too heavy and they get like, they get like weird and floppy. But like for the koi fish where, you know, stuffing wise, it's kind of like stuffing a tube. It works perfectly. So by the way, like that's that's kind of an interesting point, too, because let's just for our listeners sake. I mean, when people hear the phrase plush toy, I -hmm. think a lot of times they think, you know, a very light, soft kind of stuffed animal that's probably made overseas somewhere for pennies on the dollar by tiny little five year old hands. Uh, (laughs) But but yours, I mean, your plush toys, I mean, these things have weight to them. There is like like substance in there, man. I mean, like this Mm -hmm. is a beautiful this is an object. Yeah, they're I mean, I make them all myself. The only time I've had help making them was I messed up my right hand really bad a few years ago in an accident. I had my mom help me finish some stuff. But that was that was literally the only time I've had. How did she do? How did you guys work together? Was she a good employee? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, she did. She did all right. She did all right. She did all right. She worked in a in a crunch. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, she she did all right. No, and she's gotten into quilting and stuff now too. So right on, right on. Yeah, guilty. I mean, yeah, it's a slippery slope. She starts hanging out with you. Next thing you know, she's making things and sewing. It's awesome, mom. No, no, it's been great. So I have a question for you. So as you ideate and iterate new kinds of ideas, mm-hmm. to what extent does sketching play into your process? Are you sketching at all or are you just kind oh, of yeah. cutting, going, kind of going right into it? I mean, take us through your creative process from sort of idea to the finished product. So let's see. Usually it'll just start with me being like, huh, it'd be really fun if I made a whatever or I'll have an art show come up and it's like, oh, you know what would be perfect for this art show? Like, that's where the Godzilla came from. Right, right. It was like, oh, this would be perfect for this art show I was invited to. Sure. So I'll start with sketching. And I tried to make stuff that has more 3D volume, but I found I really prefer to make stuff so it's almost has a like a more of a graphic 2D quality. So they're more like they're more flat-ish. Mm-hmm. Like with the Godzilla's, how it's all kind of almost like a cookie cutter design, like outline. And then Mm -hmm. with all the detail filled in. Yep. See, usually I'll do a lot of sketching. I have a little notebook. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I doodle in. And then from there, I'll start figuring out how big do I want the finished piece to be? Mm -hmm. And I figured out that from the flat pattern of the plushie to the finished version, I'd lose about 20% in height. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I'll be like, okay, I want to, I want this plushie to be probably about 20 inches tall. So I'll mark out a space that's like, you know, 20 inches plus 20%, which I bet I could do that math, but I'm not going to right now. And (laughs) this is not math class. Don't worry. Yeah. (laughs) 
I'll mark that out on butcher paper. So I know like about my dimensions I want to work in mm-hmm. and I'll start drawing whichever drawing out of my sketchbook I liked best. I'll draw it to try to fit in that size. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll do an approximation of what I want the detail inside of it to look like. Mm-hmm. I'll trace that whole thing with like a Sharpie. Then I get freezer paper, which is, it's kind of like wax paper, but one side you can draw on one side mm-hmm. is just paper. And I like, I just get it at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. I'll trace the pattern onto that. I take that <laughs> and mm-hmm. I iron it onto a piece of fabric and make sure it's nice on there. Really, really flat, no bubbles or anything. I'll then turn it over on the fabric side. I'll actually trace the mm. marker pattern just with mm. a pencil. I'll mm. trace that onto that fabric. And that's like the working pattern piece. There's always like a piece underneath everything that has that patterning on it that you can't see at all on the final project. It's completely covered. Sure, sure. And usually I'll do some prototypes just because when you stuff something, sometimes shapes get a little funky or especially if there's a lot of curves, sometimes those can get a little weird. So a lot of times I'll do some prototypes where I'll just trace the pattern. And those I actually usually will do with Sharpie because then it bleeds through the fabric and I can see it when it's inside out. But yeah, I'll do that. Sometimes that takes two or three iterations. Yeah. And then from there, once I've decided I've got the pattern where I want it, I'll start putting it into production and start adding on the fabrics I want. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting to listen to this because, I mean, you are making a three-dimensional consumer product, right? On a certain Mm -hmm. level. I mean, it's art. Let's not confuse anybody. We're talking about art here, art making here. (laughs) And the reason I say sort of three-dimensional consumer product is because there seems to be a prototyping R&D kind of prototyping aspect Mm -hmm. to getting to the final formula, if you will. Right. I mean, I guess if you're a painter and you're experimenting on canvas, I mean, sure, I guess you can cover over and you make mistakes, I guess, too. But I don't know. I just I, I get the sense that with this, because you're working in three dimensions and you're working by hand and you're trying to realize a very specific vision that mm-hmm. there is this sort of very real trial and error process of, oh, of yes. prototyping that you must go through. And oh, there's yes. how many hours in that alone, I guess, is the point I'm trying to get to. I mean, days and days. That can actually get stupid, honestly. Right, right. <laughs> and two, because, you know, that freezer paper that I use to transfer the patterns onto the fabric, mm-hmm. those will only last for so many uses, and I have to mm-hmm. keep making new ones. Mm-hmm. Almost every time I make new ones, I'll change something. Just a loop. Just a little. <laughs> just like, to, like, just to know, complicate it further, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, you know, if his hands were a little bigger, it would look better. Or if its eye was moved a quarter inch that way, it would look a little bit better. So as things go, like if I take like the first cat I made and put it next to the last cat I made, Mm -hmm. there's a huge difference. Like I'm embarrassed now, the first cats that I made. (laughs) And at the time I thought they were amazing. And now I'm like, I'm like, oh God, don't look at at those. (laughs) And I love the way the new ones look. And same thing with the koi. It's like, so almost, you know, it's usually about every, I don't know, five to seven, I end up having to redo the patterns. And it's like, I almost always end up tweaking something about the pattern every single time. And I do have a personal rule of not making direct copies of anything. Mm -hmm. So like, everything is at least a different color way. Like, even if it's the same pattern. Everyone's yeah, a like, one of a kind uh, yes. within a within a range. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. but I do not make copies. I, I can make things that are similar, but I will not make direct copies of anything. 
Yeah. It's also for my own sanity too. But <laughs> no, and that's part of the reason I, I stopped taking commissions too, because I kept getting commissions for the exact same thing. And it's like, right. I like making yeah. these, yeah. Yeah. but it's not yeah. the only thing I want to do. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. You're not a short order cook. I mean, you know, at the end of the yeah. day, you're making art and you want people to buy your art. And so, yeah. So make what you love and people will love it too, eventually, if yeah. not sooner. And that's that. Yeah, I, I kind of figured out that like my stuff sells either way. So it's like I might as well make what makes me happy to make instead yes, of yes. it being like, oh, I got to make this thing before I can make something I actually want to make. I'm like, you know, why do I need to feel like that anymore? Like, right. I'm just going to make what I want to make. <laughs> and don't get me wrong. Some commissions are fun. But, you know, again, though, you mentioned something earlier sort of on the fly that I want to point out because... I think, again, a lot of artists out there could learn from you. And I don't know if you were referring to DesignerCon or not, but you were talking about an art show that you were going to be at and you thought about the show and you thought about, I guess, the kind of people that were going to be at that show. And you mm -hmm. decided that Godzilla was going to be kind of an interesting character to mm -hmm. have there and make it because you felt like, well, that will probably appeal to the people at the show mm -hmm. and maybe I'll sell more. And so there's a bit of strategy there. It's like, okay, yeah, Godzilla's cool. Who doesn't like Godzilla? But, you know, like, yeah, but this is gonna be great for that event. I'll make my Godzilla and maybe it'll sell. And then what do you know? I personally bought two of them. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> no, and like, they're honestly one of my favorite things to make. I don't make too many of them just because they do take a long time and... You know, expensive stuff is always harder to yeah. sell. Yeah, like I love making them. There's so many layers involved and I can use so many different fabrics and so many different colors and they always turn out so neat. Like even right now, I know I'm I'm kind of being nuts making six at once. But when I started like going through fabrics being like, okay, what do I have enough fabric for to make them? Because they do take a significant large piece of fabric to start with. And it's kind of, okay, what do I have? And like, I got down to where I had six and I'm like, I'm only going to make four. I even thought four was ridiculous, <laughs> but I couldn't get myself to like weed it down past six. And I was like, screw it. I'm just making six. <laughs> <laughs> it's just what's going to happen. <laughs> you're, you're your own worst client. I mean, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I'm excited to work on it though. Like I'm, yes, I'm yes, yes. you know, even after working an eight hour day, a 40 hour a week, like I'm still excited to work more on my own stuff afterwards. And that's important too. 100%. Yeah. And I've started doing some framed art recently. Like I've just been kind of toying with that. I still haven't quite on a technical level. I still don't quite have it where I like it, but I know if I keep messing with it, I'm going to get there. And uh, you wait, wait a minute. Wait. Excuse me, Bonnie. I just want to I just want to <laughs> clarify. So you said framed art. You're starting to work mm -hmm. with framed art. OK, so I think I know what you mean, but explain that further. Um, okay. What do you um, what do you mean when you say framed art? So like art that's actually like in a frame that can hang on a wall. OK, they're almost kind of like tiny quilts, honestly. OK, but I would refrain from saying they're actually quilts because they're not finished in that way. But I've been doing tarot, some tarot cards in that style where it's still sewn Very with all cool. the bits of fabric. Very cool. I don't know if there's like a correct name for this procedure of how I put the fabric onto everything. Mm -hmm. I actually sew the fabric on first, and then I cut it out, which I know okay. people think I'm nuts for doing it that way, but <laughs> it works. <laughs> like, okay. Okay. Trust the process. It works. <laughs> so, you know, I actually sew it down in big pieces and then I'll cut out whatever detail 
is on mm-hmm. the inside. Mm-hmm. I call it reductive applique, but I don't Ooh, know if there's a trademark that. You might you might have a proprietary <laughs> formula there. <laughs> well, but yeah, that's like the process that I use. I've been applying that to doing some flat art recently, but mm-hmm. like I said, on a technical level, I don't I don't quite have it where like I'm in love with it yet, but I think I can make it better. Yeah, you'll continue to practice and iterate and and find the sweet spot. But when yeah. you said framed art, I mean, I, you know, that's exactly sort of what I was imagining. But then my mind also went to sort of this idea of tapestries and the kinds of big sort of textile kinds of, of <laughs> objects that might hang on a wall and, and just beautify a space because of the incredible hand stitching or what have you. But I don't know, what of a tapestry? I mean, don't get me wrong. I actually eyed some like classic tapestries for inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh... Not that far off, but yeah, I haven't quite done anything like that. Even these few that I've done so far, I actually found like cool frames at like estate sales and I actually like figured out the image to fit in the cool frames. Yeah, yeah. Which I think part of the problem I've been having is I've been working kind of small Mm -hmm. and it's a weird thing with sewing. Sewing, the bigger you get, the easier it is. Sewing small stuff is hard. Sewing big stuff is easier. And I I think I kind of got myself into a hole of working too small (laughs) and (laughs) causing myself unnecessary pain. So maybe that's what it is. Maybe I need to try to work a little bigger. But plushies are still kind of my favorite thing to do, though. Like, I'm I'm preferring to do that. But, you know, I just always want to be trying new stuff. Absolutely, right? You you want to constantly be experimenting and growing and testing Mm -hmm. and and challenging. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. And, too, it's like... I was also, you know, when I first got going into this, very inspired by like Safubi, where it's it's like, yeah, it's that same form over and over again, but you can paint it a million different ways. Like, I love that, like having that one form, but then being able to show that form in yep. different colors and textures. And I love playing around with black light. Like, even when I go to buy fabric, I actually have a, one of those silly little black light flashlights. <laughs> <laughs> and I always take that with me and I'll click it because some fabrics will end up being reactive and you wouldn't know it just by looking at them so a lot of my work has a black light feature to it that you wouldn't know that's so fun yeah (laughs) unless you flash you know get it in the right conditions you're not even gonna know so yeah i just really like playing with all of that it's so cool to hear about how you approach all this and i'm just so excited to sort of think about where you go with it and what you do with it i mean are you cool with sharing some of your visions for 2022 like (laughs) like in a year from now is there going to be uh, a few new babies in the cradle i mean uh, some new yeah there should be i actually currently have i've done complete redesigns of not just little tweaks but complete redesigns of my mothman and flatwoods monster designs Mm -hmm. i was never super happy with the versions of those i originally made so I've got completely new versions of those in the works right now. I'm going to be redesigning my big cat design. Might even do a giant cat. I haven't decided on that yet, but I, I might. I've had a few people ask me about doing a really big one. So might be a giant cat coming. I want to do something with like a crow. Like I, I Ooh, feed, I the, like wild, I feed yeah. the wild crows in our neighborhood and uh-huh, I absolutely uh-huh. love them. And mm-hmm. I'm like, there's got to be you know, with all with feathers. There's got to be something with layers I can do with that. So there might be a crow or some kind of bird in the works soon. I have a question for you. 
And I'm going to ask this question and I will admit before I ask it that I have my own answer to the question. So, uh, you know, I'll share my two cents uh, out later. But the question is this, if you because, you know, you sort of built, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sort of seems like the koi fish really helped to establish your business, your practice, what have you. So I guess I should clarify, is the koi fish your only fish? I actually did a tuna for a particular art show. You did a tuna. Okay, okay. Okay, a so my <laughs> that's amazing, by the way. That's amazing. I, lo- I, I loved it. I got to look out great. Is that on your Instagram? I have to check this oh, out. Yeah. Right? Okay, okay, I didn't yeah, see yeah, it. Yeah. I'll just check it out. Okay, so if you're going to come up with another fish, and I have an opinion about this, oh. if you were going to come up with another fish, what would it be? Maybe a blowfish. Okay, it's hard to say. A, a blowfish, or maybe uh, maybe a beta. I feel like the fins would get all floppy. Hmm. Floppy fins are always an issue. <laughs> so you sort of think about it as, you know, makes sense that you're the artist, right? So you sort of think about the initially the question, answering the question almost from an aesthetic kind of standpoint. It's like what fish, mm-hmm. what are the attributes of that fish from a physical kind of structural aspect? Level, that could, yeah. Structural, that could be kind of fun. Okay, got it, got it. Yeah, me not being an artist, or at least not a real artist. <laughs> I recently was with my son. We were up northeast a little, or yeah, northeast, like a mammoth area. Mm. And we were in the store and he became enamored with this stuffed plush fish toy, but it was of a trout. And, you know, <laughs> trout, fish, trout fishing is so popular. And by the way, this little, I'll send you a photo of it. It's really cute. They did like a great job. It's about this big. And so anyways, I'm just a big fan of the trout. I think maybe you should, uh, I think you'll sell a lot. People love trout, but what do I know? Piranhas. Let's do piranhas next. Come on. Oh my. (laughs) The big old deer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. What do I know? This is so cool. This is so cool. And I'm sure I'll be hitting my hundredth koi this year. And I feel like I got to do something special for that. And I'm like, I haven't quite figured out what that is yet, but. Oh my gosh. So what number are we on right now? What number are you on? I think I'm up to 92. Holy snap. Like literally you're just eight away. That's amazing. Yeah, I know I'm going to hit that number this year. And I, yeah, for that hundredth koi, I feel like I got to, I got to do something special. So how will you approach that? Will you say, well, I'm going to do one koi a month and then in eight months I'll be on the hundredth koi like do you have a plan like that or will it be more Um, kind of random wait like i kind of i end up always doing projects kind of in like sets i'll be working on a bunch of stuff that kind of has intersecting colors so i don't spend as much time like looking for fabric and switching out the thread and it's stuff that it sounds like they're small tasks but when you're doing it over and over and over again that time really adds up yeah so i'll look at what do i want to make what am i low on and what fabric do I have? And I'll kind of figure out a strategy of like, okay, I'm going to work on these 12 projects simultaneously that are all in this vaguely the same color family. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. Like right now, and I know this is going to sound nuts, but this is just how I do it. <laughs> <laughs> I have 20 projects going right now simultaneously. Mm-hmm. That is nuts. That Crazy. I rotate through. By color, like right now, I'm doing everything with black thread right now. I was doing white thread over the weekend, and I'll be doing red thread next. Like, I already even know. And yeah, that like, and that includes those six Godzillas. It includes a handful of cats. It includes. Sure. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, but you know what? I mean, listen, I mean, the truth of the matter is, I totally get that because 
there has to be a logic, right? I mean, if you're trying to work in an efficient way, you you, mm-hmm. you kind of have to look for those workflows that allow you to be efficient and economical and you sort of can mm-hmm. batch production or batch certain things so that you're saving time and energy because, of course, we have limited time and energy. Yeah. 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 And I know this, too, from tracking all my time and I can look back at my speed I've more than doubled in speed in the last four years. And I know it's because I've been accounting for stuff like that and trying to find ways to little time savings here and there. You find a dozen things you can save time on, you're saving a half an hour. And when I can only really work on it on the weekends and some nights, a half an hour, that makes a difference. So, yeah. (laughs) Wow. So really at this rate over the next two, four, six, eight, ten 10 years and 10 years from now, you're just going to have a, a pool of interns oh, just working, working <laughs> through the night, little elves, little oh. elves making the toys for the See, kids. Like that's, that's the thing. It's hard for me to hand off, which I learned that right. one time when I had my mom helping me, like, yes, yes. especially where I usually make a lot, I usually make the fabric choices kind of on the fly, mm-hmm. handing right. it off to someone else to do is like, totally. No, no, that's the art part. I mean, you know, I joke, I joke because, oh, you yeah. know, well, A, because it's like heresy for some artists to even joke like that. But the point is, is that, but those are some of the interesting compromises and trade-offs and things that people have to face sometimes because it's like, well, if I'm trying to pay my bills and I need to maximize income, how can I make more product without sacrificing my integrity? And, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just an interesting kind of riddle and problem. And sometimes there's not an answer if you want to maintain your integrity. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it was was, once again, when I was hurt, it was like, I had some art shows coming up that I was supposed to have pieces for, and I had commissions that I needed to finish. And it was just like, how do I deliver this stuff when I only have one hand and not even my dexterous hand to do things (laughs) with? Like, and don't get me wrong. I actually got to a point because I had about altogether between surgery and injury and blah, blah, blah. I had about six months where I only had my left hand to use. Bonnie, be honest. Was it a bar fight? Is that how you injured your hand? I wish it was that cool. <laughs> uh, actually, I slipped on some ice. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's not cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, bar fight's cool. <laughs> and I did get to where I actually was sewing again, very slowly, granted, mm-hmm. by the end. But yeah, like I didn't want to miss those other delivery dates, especially where that was when I was just starting to do like gallery stuff. And it's like, it's like, no, like I, I'm finally getting invited to do these things. I can't miss these drop off dates. Like this stuff has to get finished. Yeah. Well, and that's, again, that's the beauty of being a production manager and having that professional rigor. I mean, you know, because artists and deadlines, they don't always go together. (laughs) Yeah. I I am an artist who respects deadlines. I can tell you that much. (laughs) Thank God. Can we clone you? I mean, we need more of you. (laughs) I'll agree. We need more. All right. We'll just bottle whatever magic you have and we'll sell that. Make them work as production people for a while. Yeah. I always love when I have artists that have been production people. (laughs) They always make me so happy. (laughs) They they actually pay attention to their email and sign the time cards right away. I love it. Yes. Yes. I can be kind of harsh because I'll say to people, well, if you don't call yourself a professional artist, I don't care if you are represented by Pace or Gagosian or whatever, (laughs) you know, don't call yourself a professional artist. If you cannot respond to an email, deliver on a deadline, (laughs) tell me, tell me what your cost is. I mean, these feel like basic fundamentals, but you know, whatever. (laughs) Oh, man. 
I'll tell you what, Bonnie, this has been such a joy. I am so grateful that you were able to find the time. This was, I sprung this on you today. I mean, like literally <laughs> I had an opening production in the production schedule. I was like, who could I feel? And, you know, you and I had sort of DM'd a little bit. I said, yeah, I want you to come on the show. And you said, well, sure. And so here we are. And I just couldn't be more pleased and more delighted. And I want to make sure that our audience knows where to find you, how to buy your art. Where can people find you online? Best place to find me is on Instagram. The handle's Huggable Koi. It's H-U-G-G-A-B-L-E-K-O-I. <laughs> Are you sure? Yeah. Are you sure, Bonnie? <laughs> I think so. Um, uh, Huggable Koi, people. Huggable Koi. Yes. All one word. And then also on Etsy. That's where I sell stuff. Also look for Huggable Koi in one word on Etsy. My shop will come up. You can also direct message me on Instagram about sales too, and we can figure it out there. Yeah. So good. So good. How, how has Etsy been for you? You know, it's been all right. I still do most of my sales, usually just through DMs on Instagram sure. and in person. Like DesignerCon is always my biggest event. That's like, it always represents like half my sales for an entire year. Amazing. It's crazy. I Isn't it a so great event? Con. Oh, God, I love it. Yeah, <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, Ben and his team and Kevin and all those guys have done such an amazing job of building that mm -hmm. over the years. And it just created a space for people with a common love to come together and celebrate, you know, art and art making and do it in just such a fun, friendly, accessible way. And it's really something special for the whole family as well. I mean, it's it's yes. fun for the whole family. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, I, I yeah. love it. But yeah, yeah. And also on Facebook too. Yeah. Okay, good. So Etsy's been okay for you. People can yeah, DM you. Yeah. They can uh, find you on Facebook. That's great. By the way, speaking of Instagram, have you noticed that it's like all videos now? Yeah. I've been trying to get myself to do more videos just for it's that. It's too reason. time like consuming. Just, it's too hard. I posted one over the weekend. Yeah. Like mm. it's like, I've already, you know, I've already got a day job. I'm already doing the sewing part of this and social media stuff. Now right. I got to edit videos. <laughs> yeah, no, no, exactly. My feeling exactly. It's like still images are easy because you can just, you know, they're quick videos. Suddenly you've got more complexity. You got to edit, you got to mm -hmm. shoot, you got to worry about lighting and or sound. And, you know, it's just like, who's yeah. got the time for that? You know? Yeah, no. And like right now we've only lived in this house for a year. and We're kind of rearranging where everything is. Mm -hmm. And the new space I'm going to have to sew in is going to be well more well lit because that's been one of the things holding me back from doing filming while I sew. So I was thinking maybe right. time lapses. People might like mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, mm -hmm. right now where I'm working, I have not been able to figure out a lighting situation that works well. But the new space I'm going to be in, I think the lighting is going to be really good. So once we're done shuffling all the furniture around <laughs> in the next week <laughs> or so, hopefully that'll help with getting more filming done. Well, like that, that, yeah, that's, it's a process, camera. isn't it? Yeah. 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 Well, look, while you're moving the furniture, be careful with your hands. Do not oh, I, oh, look I out for the ice. Do oh, not. <laughs> oh, God. No, and I have my, my dorky wrist brace that I sleep yes, in sometimes. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Getting old. Yeah. <laughs> We're precarious, man. I mean, it's like we got these things and uh, God forbid yeah. anything happened to them. Yep. Yeah, but, now between uh, that injury and I've got rheumatoid arthritis too. Like I, I try. We're to getting careful. old, Bonnie. We're getting old. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> man, I'm 51, hey. and when I was like 43 or something, I go to my doctor. I'd been, I'd had my doctor for a long time. 
and he was with me in my thirties when I was doing a lot of healthy stuff like marathons and whatever. And so I go in one day to see him and he's like, what are you here for? I said, doc, I said, something's wrong, man. I mean, I'm really worried. And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I've got these pains and these aches. And like, I just don't know, like I've never felt this way before. It's scary. It's like all the time now. And then he just sort of, sort of was like, looks at me, he goes, how old are you again? And I said, 43. And he just looks at me and he says, welcome to your forties, pal. Get the hell out of my office. Oh, <laughs> it's, like, it's like, yeah, aging is the son of a bitch. I mean, hey, but it's better than the alternative. Yes, it is. It is indeed. I will take it any day. Bonnie, I tell you what, I'm so grateful for your time today. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Cool. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You got it. We'll sign off and we make me a promise and come back someday. Oh, oh yeah, of course. Yes. yes Fantastic. Yes, yes. Ciao. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Not Real Art Podcast. Please make sure to like this episode, write a review and share it with your friends on social. Also, remember to subscribe so you get all of our new episodes. Not Real Art is produced by Crew West Studios in Los Angeles. Our theme music was created by Ricky Peugeot and Desi Deloro from the band Parlor Social. Not Real Art is created by We Edit Podcast and hosted by Captivate. Thanks again for listening to Not Real Art. We'll be back soon with another inspiring episode celebrating creative culture and the artists who make it.